Turn with me again this evening to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. I think we're nearing the, uh, the close of this series, but not yet. Not tonight. Go to Hebrews 6. For some weeks now, we've been talking about the subject of diligence. So we've seen diligence portrayed, and this has been our text through these weeks. Let's look at it again. Hebrews 6 and 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It gives the example of Abraham. And how he was diligent to believe God. And even though it took many years, one aspect of diligence is you don't quit till it's done. Isn't that what he said? Unto the end. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. I've had people sometimes come and whine and say, well, you know, I've been standing for three months. What do I do now? I said, well, has it happened? Do you see it? No. Well, that's pretty obvious. You're not done. You're not done. See, but we live in a society of clock watchers and people who care most about job description. (laughs) And if it's not my shift and it's not my job description, then I'm sorry. But we don't do that. And it's sad. That a lot of people are, they're so focused on these things until they ignore the leadings of the Lord. But you know, when something needs to be done, it needs to be done. And it's not done until it's done. (laughs) Whether it's your job description or not. Well, that's not going over too big. (laughs) Well... Think about it. Now, if you're up in heaven and the Lord hands you a broom, (laughs) are you going to tell him that's not your job description? That's not what you agreed to when you got into the kingdom? (laughs) We've had people, you know, sometimes they felt like they're supposed to work with us and for us and in the ministry. So, well, what's my job description? And we said, well, you don't have one. <laughs> what? What do I do? Whatever needs to be done. <laughs> well, a lot of folk don't like that. But if you've got a big enough problem with it, then you're not qualified for ministry. Amen. Hmm? Amen. Thank God our bunch around here is not that way. They've proven that this week. We've got people all kind of skilled doing all kind of things. I believe it pleases the Lord. Don't you think so? But he said, show the same diligence. Everybody say diligence. Diligence Diligence to the end. And Abraham did. And he and Sarah saw the fulfillment of their dreams. The Bible said in verse 15, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. 
Now, what does diligence mean? We gave you some definitions of it. I think it'll do good to repeat them. Anybody remember some of the things, some of the words that define diligence in the Hebrew and Greek lexicons? One is vehemence. Vehemence. We might say being passionate about it. Uh, Fervent. Another word is fervent, which goes along with that vehement. Fervent. How many have seen a lot of folk in our current society, they're not fervent about anything. They're not passionate about anything. They're sloppy in natural things and spiritual things. One of their favorite phrases is, whatever, no biggie. I'll get to it when I get to it, if I get to it. And this sloppiness is a big problem in the eyes of the Lord because Revelation has another term for it, lukewarm. And it is completely unacceptable to the Lord. Many people would think, well, you know, at least if you're warm, that's better than being cold. But the Lord said, I'd rather you were cold or hot. Is he really that way? Get in or out. Do it or don't. Don't play with it. Because why? That shows heart problems, doesn't it? It shows you don't know who you're dealing with. And so diligence involves fervency, earnestness, zeal, vehemence even. The Bible talked about when the Lord cleaned house and turned those money changers tables over and cleared the room with that whip. He quoted, the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. He was not content to discuss it diplomatically. (laughs) Was he? Let's sit down and let's form a committee to discuss this. (laughs) Some churches, bless their heart, they are committed unto oblivion. (laughs) I've been to places before, and uh, because we speak outside so-called faith circles. We've been in all kinds of churches, and I count it a great privilege. And there's some churches, I was the first speaker in their church in the past 50 years outside of their group and denomination. And I was, you know, wondering after I got there, what am I doing here? Because, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was very different. <laughs> but God loves all his people. And we all have different ways. And, and a lot of times we like to think that most all our ways are God. That the way we do it, that's how God does it. But you know, that's wishful thinking. I have found that a whole lot of the way we do stuff, and a whole lot of the way this group does their stuff, and a whole lot of the way that group does their stuff, is their ways. And our ways. And I found God is very accommodating. He's very merciful. He'll work with you as much as he can. He will. (laughs) I'd like to grow so that we dispense with our ways more and more and learn truly his ways. Hmm? And to find out. In fact, just everybody say it out loud so that he hears the church asking him. Say it out loud. Father God, God, we want to know the way way you you would do 
everything in this church, in this ministry, in our families, in my life. Show me your way in everything. Hallelujah. Let's expect it. And when it comes, be open to it and be ready and willing to change. He said, be diligent unto the end. And this means vehement, earnest, fervent. It also means eager and determined. It means prompt. It means do it early. Do it with speed. Now, I noticed earlier today, back up in the text again, that 10th verse, the Lord drew my attention to this. We asked this question early on. We should be diligent. We've seen that. I think that's established. And it's not just for a couple of people that have laziness issues. Everybody needs to think about this. Because even though you might be quite diligent in one area, you may be lax in another area. So diligence applies to all of us right now. But diligent at what? Diligent doing what? And notice in the 10th verse. He said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, your work and your labor. So they're diligent in working, diligent in laboring, and they're doing it out of love, which you have showed toward his name. They're doing it because of him, because of his name. And what are they doing? In that you have ministered to the saints and you're still doing it. And you do minister to the saints. What should we be diligent at? Ministering to the saints. Go with me to uh, 1 Peter. The first chapter. 1 Peter 1 and 22. Are you there? Seeing you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit... Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another, how? With a pure heart, how? Fervently. Love each other, how? Fervently. That's one of our definitions for diligence, isn't it? Wonder what if you said it like that, how much would it change the meaning? Love each other diligently. Ties together, right? Some of the same idea. Go to the uh, fourth chapter, 1 Peter. Just over a page or so. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 and 8. And above all things. That's saying a lot. Isn't that saying a lot? There's a whole Bible full of things. And this says, above all of them. Do what? Above all things, have fervent charity. That's the King James word for love. Have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover the multitude of sins and use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now what we're reading here, friend, is a description of ministering to the saints. We'd be remiss in talking about being diligent, being diligent, being diligent, and not focus some more on diligent to do what? 
Because there's some application. Well, diligent on my job. Diligent at the house. Diligent to take care of the family. Diligent to do this. Well, yeah, yeah. But more importantly, diligent to minister to the saints. Said out loud, serving the saints. saints. Say it again. Serving Serving the saints. One more time. Serving the saints. Are we all called to this? Are we all instructed to this? And are we to be diligent at it and fervent in it? Now this is what the Lord's been stirring in me and in Phyllis since we began this church. I don't know how many were here, but like the, uh, oh, I don't know, the second or third service we had, I talked about the purpose of the ministry gifts. And I was pretty strong about that the ministers weren't going to do all the visitation and weren't going to do all the counseling, weren't going to do all the praying that the family was supposed to. In fact, I was so strong, I had to come back the next time and apologize a little bit. Remember that? That hadn't happened too many times, thank God. But one reason I was strong in it is because God had stirred me so much about it. And I see as we get into some of these things why it's not being done globally. Are y'all with me now? The concept of ministry in church is wrong. In many churches, people have the idea that the ministers are to do the ministering. The ministers, the preachers are to do the ministering. Well, what does the congregation do? Come to church and receive the ministering. (laughs) And unless you're called to be a preacher... You can basically live a normal life. (laughs) Long as, you know, you go to church and love the Lord and just try to live a good life. Love your family. Be a good hard worker. And that's pretty much it, being a good Christian. But where does service to the saints come in? Now, this is something that needs to be understood. We need revelation on it. It needs to be taught. It needs to be preached. And we don't need any condemnation. We need to be inspired. We need to be encouraged. And we need to be equipped and enabled and financed. And then do it. Have fervent love among yourselves. What are we called to do? Go back to the text. We've talked about diligence for weeks now. Go back to Hebrews, please. Six. In fact, you might just want to mark that while we're doing this this evening so you can come back. Read verse 10 again. God is not unrighteous to forget. What is God not going to forget? God is not going to forget your work and your labor of love. What work? What work? So we need to be specific. What work? Which you have showed toward his name. So why did you do it? You did it out of love for him. You did it uh, for his glory. 
You did it toward his name. In what did you do? You ministered to the saints. Somebody say you ministered to the saints. Say it again. We ministered to the saints. Say it again. We ministered to the saints. One more time. We ministered to the saints. Ministered to the saints. Well, that's different from ministering just to yourself. Or just to your family. Or your grandkids. Ministering to the saints. Saints don't have to be blood relative. They don't have to be close friend. Who are the saints? Mrs. Well, people that if you can prove they've had enough miracles in their life and they get voted on and they become a saint. (laughs) If they weren't a saint before they died, they're certainly not going to get to be one after they die. And sainthood is not achieved through works. If you study the scriptures, look up the verses. Those who have believed and put their faith in Jesus are the ones he's talking about. All of us are saints. (laughs) Well, I'm not a saint. Then are you saying you're lost? You saying you haven't been born again? It's not based on what you do. He has saint. It has to do with the word hagios, the word holy, holy ones. You couldn't do anything to make yourself holy. The best we could do was unacceptable. But by faith in him, his blood has made us holy. Oh, glory to God. We've been made, didn't earn it, didn't attain to it. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Just like he never sinned, but he was made sin. With our sin, we didn't commit that righteousness, but we were made righteous with his righteousness. So we are the saints. Everyone truly born again is a saint. A holy one made holy by the blood And their faith in it. Well you and I are called to minister to these holy ones. These saints. They may not always look holy. They may not always act holy. But you and I are called to minister to them. To who? What do these folk look like these saints? Well look around. Right here. Right here. Right now. Look around. To the left. To the right. Before you, behind you, you just saw some saints. And you are called to minister to these people. Are y'all with me now? You are called of God. Appointed of God. Predestined of God. To minister to these people. And other saints that you might meet. On the other side of the world in the future. Or on the street or in the grocery store. Anytime, anywhere. If they're a saint. If they're a believer. You're called. To minister to them. You never have to stand in a pulpit. And preach a sermon to do it. You wouldn't have to prophesy. You wouldn't have to give a tongue an interpretation. You wouldn't have to lay hands on them. To minister to them. 
How many know there are many ways to minister to the saints? Many ways. But here's the big question. Who's supposed to do it? Now traditional thinking is that the preachers are supposed to minister to the saints. And this is wrong. I said this is wrong. Go with me if you would to uh, Ephesians. Well, on your way there, stop by Galatians 5. It's right on the way. Galatians 5 and 13. It says, Brethren, you have been called unto freedom, liberty. Did you know that? I'm going to have to get a little more help than this. (laughs) Anybody in here got a call on their life? Let me see. It's amusing. I see people, you know, that get to God or they get serious about God. They, then they quit being so carnal and start reading their Bible and, and praying once in a while. And they come and say, Brother Keith, I, I feel like I got a call on my life. What do you think? I don't have to think. I know you do. Every believer has a call on their life. Now, what's sad that in years past, people thought if you had a call on your life, They had to squeeze you into one of three boxes. You're either a pastor or you're a traveling evangelist or a missionary. (laughs) If you called. And, And it's really sad that people tried to squeeze in some of those boxes and none of them fit. And they thought, well, what's wrong with me? I don't feel comfortable with this, and this ain't right. I don't have any success in it, but I feel like I'm called. I just must not be called, and what's wrong with me? No, all of us have a call. One thing we're called to is liberty. Read this. You're called to what? You have been called under liberty. Mm -mm -mm. What's that mean? Freedom. Freedom from the bondage of dead rules and regulations. Freedom from the bondage of organizations that don't know God. And all the structure to try to make people good and make people right. You've been free from all that. Free from the condemnation of guilt. And living by guilt and operating under shame and condemnation and guilt. You've been set free from all that. And you have been called unto a life of liberty. Liberty. Thank God we experience a lot of liberty in the U.S. of A. Thank God for it. But he's talking about something else. He's talking about liberty. Not not external, social, geographic liberty. He's talking about internal, spiritual Hallelujah. Solical, mental, inside liberty. And you've been called to it. So you don't have to live in bondage to drugs or alcohol or sexual addiction or wrong thoughts or any kind of sin. or You don't have to live that way. You do not have to live that way. You've been called to liberty. You've been called to liberty. You get free from oppression. You get free from fear. You get free from poverty. You get free from sickness. You get free from condemnation. Now what do you do with your free self? 
You're just as free as can be. You are free from all your debt. You don't owe anybody. You're free. You got money. You're free in your body. You can do what you want to do. You're free in your mind. You got no fears. Now what do we do with your free, healed, blessed self? What What do we do with you? Now why am I saying that? Because a lot of people think, hey, that's it. Help me, get me free, healed, blessed, and prosperous, and let's just shout till Jesus comes, and that's it. No, there's a purpose in this. Read the rest of the verse. What does it say? You've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Why would he need to say it? Because, hey, I got free. I got no fears. I got my body healed. I got money. So let's play. Let's do what Keith wants to do. Let's party. Let's vacation. Let's see the world. Let's buy Keith everything he wants. Let's have fun. You can use your liberty as an occasion for your flesh. And the Bible said don't do that. You got all this freedom. You got this knowledge. You got this faith. You got this ability. You got this strength. You got these resources. Do what? Read the rest of it. Do what? Don't use this liberty for an occasion to the flesh to flesh out. Just yield to and pursue every whim you ever had. But do what with all this freedom? By love... Serve one another. Is he talking to preachers? No. Everybody. Not just preachers. Everybody. Who's called to serve one another? See, that's what the Lord was doing with us in the beginning days of the church when he dealt with us about service teams. And the further we go, the more I can see his wisdom in it. I can see his plan. How many have served on a team and it's been a blessing to your life? Look at that. Boy, that's a wonderful sight. Look at that. Hands all over this place. How many would say without hesitation, it's enriched your life? It's enriched your life. It's helped you spiritually. It's helped you to develop in your faith and in being led and using your knowledge of the word and Once in a while, we'll hear people say, well, you know, y'all say so much about be on a team and get on a team. And, you know, we don't want to hear that. Why can't a man just come? Why can't a fellow just come and be in the church? Well, you can. You can. And we love you. But you're missing out. Now, if, you know, if you're in the ministry full time and you're using your days and nights and going and ministering to people... We understand if you want to just come in and get fed and get built up and not join up to five teams. We understand that. That's fine. That's cool. In fact, the Lord told us on these Friday nights when we first started, he was going to bring ministers here. A lot of them would come and go. We wouldn't even know it. They don't want to be known. And that's all right. They want to come in. And I'm a minister. I understand it. You don't want to give out. You don't want to, you, you want to soak up. You want to receive. 
And he said, people would come, ministers would come. And he said, they'd be weary, they'd be worn. And he said, I'll refresh them. And I'll renew their strength. Hallelujah. That has been happening. I'm believing for it to happen on a bigger level. And a stronger level. And of course, it's happening through the internet as well. And we understand that. But you know, there's a lot of folk, a lot of people, that if they don't hook up with a team some way, they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And if you're not, you're missing out. You're missing out on things you should be receiving. Thank you for those three amens. <laughs> Let's keep reading. By love, serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What are we called to? Boy, I mean this, look up at the, uh, the previous verse, the first part of it again, both of those areas. What are we called to? We're called to liberty. Is it God's plan to get us free from every bondage, every hindrance, every lack, every restriction, get us saved and filled and healed and thrilled and prospered and delivered and free and full of faith and full of power? And then what? And then so we got it made. We got it made. No, you're ready for something. Don't use all this blessing as an occasion for the flesh, but use it how? By love, serve one another. another. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? We're going to talk about some more specifics. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians 4, please. How many would acknowledge we're called to serve one another? Now, when you get to talking about this, some people don't like the feel of it because they think, you know, it means I'm going to have to do something. (laughs) And I'm already busy and I just, I don't want anything else to do. Well, I'm not asking you to do anything and I'm not about to. I'm not working up to that. I'm just telling you what the scripture says, that I and you are called to serve each other. And that in talking about diligence, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the very thing in the phrase he was talking about being diligent to do. He said, God will not forget your work, your labor of love that you've done toward his name. What were they doing? What were they doing? He said, you have ministered to the saints and you're still doing it. And he said, I want you to know God's never going to forget it. You'll be rewarded in this life and in the next. And it is the only thing that will fulfill you in life. Can anybody testify to that? When you pour out of your life to bless others, what does it do to you? We got so many people that are so bored in life and they're so dissatisfied. And then they they don't know what's wrong with them and they keep trying to find themselves and every other thing. And that's what's wrong. It's because everything is here. Everything is inside and towards me and what I feel and what I want. And you will never find happiness that way. You will never find contentment. You're not designed that way. That's not what you're called to. You're not called to make yourself happy. 
You're not called and anointed to fulfill every desire you could ever dream of for yourself. It can't make you happy. That's why some of the most miserable people on the planet are some of the richest. At least poor people can imagine that if they had it, they'd be happy. (laughs) They can delude themselves that if they had that big house and that new car and all that stuff, then they would be happy. But the rich people that have got it, and they're still not happy. And they got everything and they've done everything, and they're more miserable now than they were last year. And they don't know what else to do and try. They're running out of stuff. That's why some of them commit suicide. Tell me though, what would give you satisfaction? What would begin to help you and open up your insides and bring you deep contentment? It's when God can use you to help somebody else. When God can use you to help one of his kids' dream come true. When God can use you to meet their need. They're standing. They're believing. They've been sowing. And God taps you on the shoulder and sends you with it. Now until you've been used like that, you don't know what I'm talking about. And you need to find out as soon as possible. Because that is better than eating when you're hungry. I'm telling you, that's better than you getting something new. That's better. And beside all that, when you're sowing, it's going to come back to you. It is going to come back to you. But it'll come without you seeking it for you. You're not seeking it for you. You're seeking the kingdom of God. And what did he say would happen? All those things then are going to be added to you while you're doing this. And we're seeing it happen right now in the church family. Aren't we? It's happening. It's happening right now. Ephesians 4, are you there? Ephesians 4. This is what I was talking about. This is the chapter that the Lord dealt with me so strongly about that Phyllis and I were not to do when we started the church. You know, it's easy when you, we had never pastored before. And we even had some folk that were telling us that we we weren't pastors and wouldn't know how and couldn't do it. But so you, you never pastored. You don't know how to pastor. And I thought, duh, every pastor that ever started didn't know how. That's like saying you can't be a parent because you've never had any kids. <laughs> well, then there'd never be any families, right? Because somebody's got to be your first one, right? So, but God, you know, and I'll be frank with you. That was the biggest thing I struggled with because I knew I had calling in other areas and anointing and graces in other areas. And I didn't think that was my call. And I didn't want to step into an office I wasn't called to. I knew you could get in trouble for that. And I uh, didn't want to presume I could do something that I wasn't called to do. And uh, for weeks, I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and struggled with it. And finally, the Lord, you know, I thought, well, Lord, I, I heard people say you can't have this anointing and this anointing. And this is what he said to me one day. I was looking out the window, this little place we were renting. He said, I was. <laughs> he was this. Andy was this. Andy was. I thought. That's sure, right? He said, son, don't try to figure it out. Just obey me. Good enough for me. Right? (laughs) I quit figuring and started obeying. And oh, I'm so glad I did. God has blessed us with such a good family. And mm, wouldn't have missed it for anything. 
getting to know you and getting to fellowship with you and having the family that we do. And we're just getting started. We're just getting started good here. Well, this is the thing he dealt with, this passage here in Ephesians 4. How are we to operate? We don't just need to do this to be doing it. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? How's this thing supposed to function? Look at this. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. How many of us? Not just preachers. Every one of us has been called, we just got through seeing it, called to liberty and called to serve one another. Love one another and serve one another. And every one of us has been equipped to do that. Been given grace or grace says. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. So he, that flows into talking about gifts. Somebody said out loud, I'm gifted. I'm, gifted. I'm, graced. I'm graced. Every one of us means every one of us, right? right. Means you. Say it again. I'm graced. I'm, graced. I'm, gifted. I'm gifted. Well, now to do what? Yeah, I think you're on the right track. Keep reading. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. He is the gift giver. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. He went down and up. And he gave some. Now what's he still talking about? He's talking about gifts. To every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. But when he ascended, he gave specific gifts unto men in general, the population of men. And here's some of the gifts he gave. He gave some apostles, apostle gift, and prophet gift, and evangelist gifts, and pastor gift, and teacher gift. He gave these gifts to who? Someone says, well, the preachers are the ones that's called. No. No, he gave these gifts unto men, plural, mankind. Are you with me now? Uh, As a minister myself, God didn't make me a gift, put graces in me for me. Or anybody else that used any apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That was not for them. And some ministers, especially that have been used in some spectacular ways, have gotten in trouble for thinking wrong. There have been some people that are called and anointed, especially to minister to the sick, and they assume that anointing on them uh, that ministers to the people's bodies is going to take care of them automatically. And people have gotten sick and had trouble because they didn't believe God. Well, no, we're specially anointed to teach it and preach it or minister it, but we got to live it just like everybody else. Or have problems. I got to use my faith. Phyllis got to use her faith. Other preachers and teachers got to use their faith for themselves, just like anybody else. Are you going to get in trouble? Because the gift is not just for us. The gift is for who he gave the gift to. The men, keep reading. What are these gifts for? These apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What were they given to accomplish? Read the next verse. For what? Now, a lot of people would say the gifts 
ministry gifts are given to do the ministry. And that would be wrong. What is the next thing he said? Why are the ministry gifts given? For what? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And this is the part that's been misunderstood. The part that who is going to do the work of the ministry. And it's the saints that are equipped to do the work of the ministry. Until what end? Read the rest of it. It makes perfect sense. If you think that way, what's the rest of it? The work of the ministry to accomplish what? For the building up, edifying, strengthening, advancing, helping, encouraging of the body of Christ. Let me read other translations of this to you. The NIV. Uh, this is Hebrew, excuse me, uh, Hebrews. Ephesians 4 and 12. What does it say? Why did God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers? Read it. To prepare God's people for works of service. Is this what most churches believe? No. No. People believe, you know, that's what we pay the preachers for. Right? What are the preachers supposed to do? They're supposed to do counseling and visitation and praying for folks. That's what they're supposed to do. Well, what do the saints do that's in the church? Oh, they come to church (laughs) and make appointments to be counseled or calls to be visited. And that's why so many churches are so small and so restricted because there's only so much that one or two or three or four people could do. And so you got the whole church family body is babies. And they're all crying for their baba. (laughs) And the ministers have got three towels and four bottles. And they're running from crib to crib, crib to crib. And when you get there and you pull back the cover, that baby is 65 years old. And he's screaming the loudest. He wants his baba. Otherwise, we're going to fire this preacher. And get one that will get our baba when we want it. Now, I know this sounds humorous, but it is a sad state of reality for huge portions of the church. And your, your average church member of the family and churchgoer feels no responsibility toward the church family at all. In fact, gets irritated if anybody suggests that I should be doing something for the church family, because I got a full life, I got a job, I got kids, I got a spouse. Hey, I got my own life to deal with. And if you're expecting me to do anything, well, I'll find another church that don't expect me to do anything. And pastors are afraid to preach on this because of that reason. But of course, we don't have that problem here. <laughs> <laughs> 
church. But I'm so excited that we have many, many. You saw all these hands just a minute ago, didn't you? People that have gotten a hold of the vision. And they didn't hear it from me. They got it from him. They got it from the Lord. They got it from the word. And they're busy. They got jobs. They got family. They got kids. They got multiple things going on. But they have changed their priorities. Oh, come on now. And they are genuinely putting the family of God first. Seeking the advancement of the kingdom of God, which is the people of God. The kingdom of God is the people of God. He said the kingdom of God is among you, is in you. Can't separate the kingdom from the people, the family. And if you're going to be ministering to the kingdom and for the kingdom, what does that equal to? Ministering to the saints, to the family, to the people. Let me read another one to you. The New Living Translation, verse 12. New Living Translation says their responsibility. Talking about me, preachers. What's my responsibility? To equip God's people to do his work. What work? And build up the church. The body of Christ. That's our job. Our job is not to do all the counseling and visitation and praying. That's not our job. Our job is to equip you. Is that right or not? That's our job. Well, what about all the millions of pastors that are old before their time and got all kind of physical problems because they just go night and day trying to do all the work of the ministry while their family is not developing. They're not using their faith. They're not learning how to be led and they're going to get no reward. Aren't you glad it's not that way here? Now I haven't digressed. What are we talking about diligent? Diligent to do what? We read in the verse. Diligent to minister to the saints. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. The Jerusalem Bible says, for the work of service. The Amplified says that the people should do the work of ministering toward the building up of the body. Go with me if you would. To uh, 1 Corinthians 16. I think I can close with this. 1 Corinthians 16. Diligent to do what? Diligent to serve one another. Serve one another. He's talking about believers. Isn't he? And this is the form of evangelism that many have not emphasized enough. People have thought, well, we need to go tell people about Jesus. Well, we do. But then what? Did you know in mass crusades, it's sad, that many that come to the altar and give their heart to the Lord fade right back into the world? I mean, many of them have. Many of them have. You find them five years and ten years later, they're living just like they were before the meeting. No change. That's not the will of God. I said, that's not the will of God. How many of the Bible, the same passages that talked about going into all the world and preach the gospel, he also said, go make disciples. That's follow-up, isn't it? And that's ministering and serving one another. And 
when he intended that the world know that we are his and that he is real by us loving each other. Isn't that what the scripture said? By this will all men know that you're my disciples. In other words, that he's real and that we're his and it's the real deal. How are they going to know? Oh, friend, it's begun. But I'm believing God that it becomes widely known. That if you're a part of the faith life family, you got it made. You got it made. You'll never be alone again. You'll never be without prayer. You'll never be without faith buddies. You see it in the beginning days of the church, don't you? They got born again. They all got filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was the very next thing you see in the second chapter. They begin liquidating stuff, didn't they? And the second chapter, it said it again in the fourth chapter. I, they gave to each other so much until there was none among them that lacked. And we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And none of them had any lack. Why? Because they were part of that church. Part of that family. Part of that bunch. Glory to God. Well, what does that do to outsiders looking in? I mean, why are people getting involved in gangs? Why do they get involved in organized crime? Because they want a family that they never had. They want somebody that will stand behind them and and support them and and believe in them. And somebody that will not quit them. And it's a lie because... These gangs and these crime groups and families, they will whack you and tell you it's nothing personal. Just business. It's a lie. Oh, but the family of God is the real deal. Oh, glory to God. People that will love you, even if you've messed up, they still love you. And even if you just done all kind of stuff, believe that you can recover. Amen. Come on now and believe with you and stand with you and not leave you and not forsake you. And friend, when the outside world sees that, the Bible said the goodness of God leads people to repent and change and they want to be a part. They want to be a part, but they need to see it. That's why the devil fights and works so he's diligent in getting churches to fight inside and against each other. Why? Because it undermines our testimony. And outsiders think, well, what, I want to join that. I got that at home. Hmm? People chewing each other up and spitting each other out. And I don't need that. I got that. I've had plenty of that. They need to see something different. Why is God empowering you? Why is he delivering you? Why is he getting you out of debt? Come on, somebody help me. Why? Why is he showing you how to use your faith? How to be led by the Spirit? So you are able for God to add all kind of babies, thousands of babies to this church. Right? So many babies that Phyllis and I and ten times the staff could never get to all of them. But you can. You can minister to them. You can help them. 
God will wake you up in the middle of the night and you'll pray for them. And you'll call them and encourage them. Come on now. And you'll strengthen them and edify them. And buy their lunch and buy them a suit. And make a car payment for them. And help them get caught up. Help them get on their feet. 1 Corinthians 16. Oh, I like this. This verse here. It says, 1 Corinthians 16. I beseech you, brethren. This is verse 15. 16, well, look at verse 14. It goes with it. 16, 14, 1 Corinthians. Let all your things be done with love. I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. He said, I want you to submit yourselves to such and to everyone that helps with us and that labors. Somebody say labors. What are they doing? What are they laboring at? What are they working? What are they being diligent at? They are diligent on the addiction level. Now, how many understand addicts on hard drugs are diligent to find their drugs? They may not be diligent to do anything else, but they're going to be diligent to take the drugs when they need them and to do whatever it takes to get the drugs or to get the money to get the drugs. It's bondage. But there's a good addiction. I said there's a good addiction that you are addicted to what? To what? The ministry... Of the saints, let me read that to you from the NIV. The NIV. He said, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. He's not talking about preachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. He's talking about believers. The New Living Translation. The New Living Translation, they are spending their lives in service to God's people. Say that out loud. They are spending their lives in service to to God's people. Spending, the new century says they've given themselves to the service of God's people. Can you see the wisdom of God on these service teams in the church and things like that? What did he intend? What's all that for? Someone says, well, for the church. Well, what is the church? You're the church. People. Listen real quickly to a couple of ways the Bible talks about us ministering to each other. We've talked to them, but I'll just remind you of them. The Bible said we can minister to each other by praying for each other. Somebody say pray. Pray. The Bible talked about individuals that prayed diligently and earnestly for one another. The Bible said that we can teach and admonish one another. We can comfort and encourage. You don't have to... You know, quote 12 different translations or quote Hebrew or Greek. Just encourage somebody. Just look them in the eye and tell them you love them and mean it. Tell them you believe in them and mean it. Tell them you believe they can get through this. And you'll stand with them. That's ministering to the saints. Isn't it? Well, there's been times in my life, it's hard to describe it. Where somebody that you believed and respected and cared about just come put their hand on your shoulder. And just look at you and say, you're coming through this. You are coming through this. (laughs) Just hang in. Just stand strong. And man, it just, something beyond the words. 
That's what the Bible tells us why we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because we need to come together and exhort one another. And provoke one another unto love and good works. It's why the Bible tells us to go to our jobs and work. So that we can have to minister to them that need it. And I'm going to know when you get to thinking like that, you're up out of the selfish realm now. You can believe God for promotions and raises and contracts. Why? Because the more blessed I am, the more God can use me to bless the saints. And do things. And you just come into a whole nother level where your faith just flies. Stand up on your feet. Say it out loud. I'm called to liberty. I am called to complete freedom. I am called to serve my brothers and my sisters. I'm anointed. I'm empowered. I'm graced to serve the saints, to minister to my brethren. Pray this out loud after me. Father God. Help me to come up to a higher level of service, stronger, more knowledgeable, more faith, more resources, more able to minister to the family, to minister to the saints. Make me very strong for yourself. To minister minister to the saints. saints. Here am I. I. Use me. me. Here am I. I. Send me. me. Here am I. I. Make me a blessing. blessing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Just lift your hands. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise. Oh, Father, we bless you. Oh, Father, we bless you. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.